Here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 207, The Other 48 Days. This is the 31st overall episode, and there are 90 to go. First, let's uh, get to a bit, quick bit of feedback. Uh, Cat Caps on Twitter had some very kind things to say, uh, including Love Your Podcast. I've listened to every podcast and looking forward to the rest of the episodes. Keep up the great work. So thank you very, very much, Cat Caps, for those uh, kind words. And uh, also sharing some feedback, as often happens, is uh, Bonnie, who sent in an email concerning last week's episode, Abandoned. And Bonnie had this to say. Elizabeth Sarnoff wrote a tender story uh, of a character whose on-island persona was not endearing to anyone but Saeed and possibly Vincent. The thing that stood out to me this time was just how young Shannon was. At the time of the crash, she appeared to be about 21, placing her at 18 or 19 when we are introduced to her in this flashback. Although she came from a privileged background, her acceptance to a New York City ballet company establishes for us that she had genuine talent. We can intuit that Shannon lost her mother some years ago, hence her living with her father and his wife. Now her father is dead, and in short order, the rest of her world collapses. She is... She has her face rubbed in the fact that her stepmother never loved her and certainly didn't consider her a daughter. Boone betrays their childhood closeness when he seemingly holds no sway with his mother. His refusing to hold on to his New York apartment just till Shannon can get on her feet results in Shannon becoming homeless as well as penniless. With unpaid bills uh, mounting and no funds to get started in New York, Shannon's dreams are crumbling. Add to twist the knife, uh, Boone accepts a job working for his mother. Uh, In another episode, we get the tawdry story of how Shannon ended up financing the next couple of years. And now we have uh, a clearer focus regarding her seemingly callous treatment of Boone. So certainly uh, excellent input there from Bonnie. Um, Yeah, last week's episode, Abandoned, it really, uh, it, it's, you know, it's an effective, uh, it's an effective episode of really having us be sympathetic for Shannon as a person. Uh, It's, it's a solid episode and, um. You know, you just, you really get kind of the whole picture there. And it's, you know, of course, it's with this great irony that uh, at the end of that episode, she, you know, certainly has been shot to death. So um, I suppose with that, let's turn our attention to uh, to this episode, which also ends with Shannon being shot to death. And today we have uh, uh, a Wikipedia summary read by Steve, who uh, actually sent it in a month ago. So he certainly was a huge help and it kind of has been sitting in my Gmail inbox, uh, waiting for waiting for today. So without further ado, here is Steve. Season 2, Episode 7, The Other 48 Days. After the tail section of the plane crashes into the water off of the beach, the survivors swim ashore. Mr. Echo pulls a young girl out of the water, and Anna Lucia performs CPR on her, saving her life. Anna and Echo then go to the aid of more people, 
leaving the girl and her brother in the care of Cindy, the flight attendant. Libby helps Donald by setting his broken leg, and a man, Goodwin, runs out of the jungle asking for help, saying there's someone alive in the jungle. They go to Bernard, who's still belted into his airplane seat, stuck up in a tree. Anna coaxes him down. That night, three of the adults are taken, and Echo kills two of the others with a rock when they try to take him. As time goes on, more survivors die. On the twelfth day, the others take nine more, including the girl and her brother. Anna manages to kill another one who's discovered to be carrying an antique U.S. Army knife, along with a list of the nine to be taken and their descriptions. Now, while trying to sort out what happened, the notion of an infiltrator in their midst is discussed, as well as a proposal to leave the beach. So the survivors opt to head into the jungle. Anna digs a pit, which she turns into a cage, and as soon as it's done, she knocks Nathan unconscious and throws him into the pit. She interrogates him, and Anna tells Goodwin she intends to start torturing Nathan the next day. That night, Goodwin frees Nathan, warning him of Anna's plan. When Nathan turns to leave, Goodwin breaks his neck, revealing to the viewers that he is the infiltrator. The survivors move again and find the arrow hatch. Inside a box, they find a glass eye, a Bible, and a radio. Goodwin and Anna go to higher ground to try to pick up a signal. And while there, Anna reveals that she knows Goodwin is one of the others. Goodwin admits he killed Nathan, says that those taken were, quote, good people, and that Nathan was not on the list because he was not a good person. The two fight for the army knife, and when they roll down a hill, Anna impales him on a sharpened stick. Anna returns to the survivors, and she tells them, we're safe now. On the 41st day, Bernard picks up Boone on the radio and responds to him. Before any further conversation can take place, Anna turns off the radio, dismissing the transmission as another trick by the others. Soon after, Cindy and Libby find Jin washed up on the shore. After pulling him from the water, they tie him up and blindfold him while they try to figure out just who he is. As Echo and Anna Lucia argue, Jin breaks free and runs to the beach. The remainder of the episode is shown as a montage of the events already seen in the episode's orientation through Abandoned, including the tail section survivor's acceptance of Jin, Sawyer and Michael, the trek to the midsection's camp, Sawyer falling ill, and Cindy listening to the forest whispers just before she's taken. The episode ends with the shooting of Shannon by Anna Lucia. Again, a huge thanks to Steve for sending that in. Uh, actually, as it was uh, playing there just now, I sent him a quick email apologizing that it had taken so long for me to uh, to indeed share that praise. But uh, excellent, excellent job there. Uh, done in one take and just absolutely wonderful. So thank you. Thank you, Steve. And with that, let's now turn to my thoughts about the episode. It's a... Uh, 
It's just a brilliant start to the episode. Uh, it uses a cold opening. There's no previously on Lost. There's no hint of whatever is happening. Uh, it's just that static shot of the uh, what, what will become quite quickly the tail section beach. Uh, indeed, it's such a static shot that it forces even kind of lackadaisical viewers in the audience just to really look because not much is going on for for almost an uncomfortably long amount of time. It, they don't overdo it, but certainly there's, um, you know, there's just a, uh, rarely on TV do you dedicate so many seconds to just nothing going on. But uh, indeed, pretty quickly you hear, uh, you know, you, you hear something out of the ordinary, you see bits starting to fall, and it's a really nice touch for that wayward seat to, quote-unquote, hit the camera, uh, ascending what is, uh, ending what is essentially the prologue to the episode. Then, of course, the screen uh, turns black and reads day one, uh, and you start to realize that this is feeling quite different from uh, from any episode that you've seen before. Um, the, the crash scene itself, it's very, very well done, particularly given that uh, in nowhere are they looking to spend the millions and millions of dollars on this crash as they did for the, uh, for, for the pilot episode. Uh, you might recall at the time when the pilot episode was filmed in uh, was it March of uh, 2000, uh, 2005, it was the most expensive pilot episode. Um, you know, they bought an actual plane and chopped it up and shipped it to Hawaii and all of that. Um, they're not doing that here. And in fact, I don't know that before this episode they had established that the tail section actually um, landed in the water. Uh, I doubt they did, but certainly you can imagine that in the in the pre-production for this episode, that's really the only conclusion that you can have in terms of um, spending the money to make this episode. Uh, you you know, this is at a point in the show now where they're, you know, they're not using the uh, the pieces of the airplane any longer. Uh, you know, that, that's that's been kind of done away with in the story. Um, they, they've moved away from that part of the beach with our, our main bunch of castaways. So they don't have airplane parts and, uh, well, therefore, to, to, crack, to put the tail section in the water, A, reduces the amount of kind of props that you need on the crash scene. B, it also uh, reduces the number of people, period, that you need in that scene. Um, they do make rather judicious use of, um, like, dummies floating in the water. That gives you the sense of people who are dead. Um, you know, I mean, essentially, it's a small, small cast. Um, and uh, unlike, say, uh, uh, the lock flashback, who the name of which is escaping me, Walkabout, unlike say, walkabout, where they did shoot some new crash scene footage of him kind of waking up on the beach. At least with that, you could do some camera tricks um, and put some flaming bits around him when you're shooting walkabout and then quickly edit that into footage of the original crash, which cost you millions of dollars. With this, they have none of that available. And uh, I don't know, it's just nicely done. You really get the sense of the crash occurring, but you don't, you know, you don't kind of really see it uh so well done there um there's also a brief shot brief but but centered uh of the boy and his teddy bear uh, of course it's a reminder that we saw the very same teddy bear being dragged by a string not too long ago and uh, that's kind of one of many moments you know in this episode where well let's put it this way lost 
has to cater, Lost had to cater to a number of different types of viewers. New viewers, which occasionally they, they had to be um, somehow welcoming to, somehow introducing new things to. And uh, then there's just kind of the plain, ordinary viewer who nonetheless is loyal and who's watching every, every, uh, every week. Uh, then there's the, the super fan, the one who, you know, when an episode gets done, they're racing to hear the podcast or they're racing to see what the official Lost podcasts say or to read blogs or to go to the fan websites and this sort of thing. So yeah, that, that's a lot to juggle. That certainly is a lot to juggle. And this business with the teddy bear, it works. I mean, it's not, you know, it's, it's upon first viewing. If you're watching in 2005, it's not that much, uh, pardon me, not that much time has transpired since, um, you know, since you've last seen the teddy bear. If you get it, great. You make that connection. You say, oh, this is that kid. This is, this is, you know, th there's a lot of things going on here. If for some reason you don't, if this is your first episode, if whatever, whatever, then it's just a boy with his teddy bear. And that still works. It's the innocence. It's, you know, a, a, how awful it is that a child has been uh, subjected to such uh, such an awful situation, et cetera, et cetera. So um, kudos to on Michelle Rodriguez and her acting the very first time we see her. For all the toughness that she has as a character and uh, I would expect as a, as a woman, it's a very, very real reaction that she has on her face to, to one's world having literally fallen apart. Um, and the look on her face, I think, is almost akin to Shannon screaming in that pilot episode. It's just that that look of that any of us would feel of just, you know, terror beyond terror. And just this the the, the fact that every single thing that you know and that you can count on is now um, just catastrophically uh, ended. So... Moving on, the teaser act closes with just this wonderful tracking shot, the camera pulling back to show the carnage, uh, and it's punctuated by two things. First, there's a guy crawling through the sand. Uh, he's kind of like leaving this trail, you know, kind of has this, um, you know, kind of has the implication he can't walk, he's terribly wounded, where is he crawling to, uh, is he dazed, you know. Um, and then the the... The second bit of punctuation is the sinking tail section in the, the very background of the shot. Uh, Giacchino's music is familiar but desperate. Uh, it's this sense of kind of returning us home, but it's, you know, we're seeing home through uh, new and fearful eyes. So just quite a, quite a wonderful end to that first teaser act. Uh, after the title card, there's just this, this wonderful bit of irony. Echo brings the children to Cindy, the flight attendant. And indeed, as we know, you know, she'll be watching them for quite a while, not just in this episode, but, uh, you know, Cindy has a bit of a through line with, uh, with those kids for, for quite some time to come. Um, and then at that point, we have the smallest moment of downtime, which is kind of marginally downtime. Yes, Libby is talking to Anna Lucia, but that's only after she uh, resets the particularly grossly misaligned broken leg with her, with her story that's kind of... Uh, not to over not to overuse the word punctuated, but it certainly is punk you know, her her story to kind of distract the guy is punctuated by her snapping his leg back. So um anyhow, so this smallest moment of downtime, Libby talking to Anna Lucia, and then we have that inconspicuously dry Goodwin arriving to introduce us to the notion of Bernard up in the tree. Uh 
there's some uh, there's some quiet time again and uh there's you know there's kind of a, a cat and mouse aspect to this episode or perhaps it's chicken and the egg i don't know but you know with bernard up in the tree we aren't really concerned that, that he's going to fall we've seen him for a number of episodes now and you know frankly anyone capable of watching lost this long can keep track of the fact that this is uh this is essentially a long flashback we might not fully know at this point that the entire episode is done in flashback but we get it we understand exactly what's going on where he is in the chronology of the show and where he was when last we saw him in the show and we get it he's not going to die on the flip side though goodwin introduces himself with no fanfare no lurking look from Anna Lucia, no kind of plink from Giacchino's strings, no reminder that two episodes we saw Goodwin's uh, dead body, uh, pardon me, two episodes ago we saw his dead body. And that, I suppose, is a good choice. Uh, for those who remember, you feel wise. Uh, for those who don't remember, the narrative certainly is unfolding via what Anna Lucia is seeing. And, and what does she see? She sees a nice guy trying to start a signal fire. So certainly, these little details don't necessarily require a callback. These details of we've heard the name Goodwin before and, and this sort of thing. Uh, the details that we care most about, though, those do require a callback. I heard that you were the one who pulled the dead bodies out of the water. Yes. Or any of them African-American? my wife. I can't find her. Where the hell are the rescue plans? I will pray for you know, oftentimes in art, there's this discussion of the authenticity, the authenticity of acting or, or whatever it might be. Um, and sometimes that kind of comes off as uh, a little overblown or whatever, but you know, the acting here out of, out of Bernard or the acting out of the actor playing Bernard rather, it's, it, it just feels so authentic. He's, he's frazzled. He almost is looking for a certain sense of solace. Um, if her body had been found, uh, he would then, uh, know that, that, that she was dead. He'd have a, a certain sense of closure. Um, and it's just kind of almost this, you know, bewilderment that um, what would be expected at this point, which is many dead and few survivors, that, that even he can't count on that. Um, not that he's lost out hope, of course. You know, and he's saying, I can't find her. It's just, it's just kind of a, a plaintive plea for, uh, you know, for, for well, wanting to find her. What, what else? How else can it be put? Uh, speaking of solace, though, there's also kind of an interesting lack of solace shown by Bernard when prayer is mentioned. And uh, I wonder if that's some character detail uh, or just perhaps a greater comment on how easily or how, uh, you know, with what difficulty any of us would be able to find God after such a catastrophe. Uh, indeed, a catastrophe that one could safely assume in Bernard's shoes right now that this catastrophe has, has killed a loved one. 
So, you know, it's just one of those uh, one of those little moments that 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 make up the show so wonderfully. And I'd say too, it's one of those moments where uh, I would sus- uh, suspect, as an actor, you know, Bernard is—it's not a huge character, right? He's getting—I don't know how many episodes in a row he's been in at this point. Probably four. You know, he's—he's he's getting some work out of it. He can expect uh, probably steady, uh, you know, a run here of a number of episodes. They've—it's—they probably contracted him out to to be a guest star for. A block of episodes and then uh you know they probably have an understanding with him that that there'll be future uh, episodes to come as needed it's not you know series star it's not going to be steady work but here he's given this dialogue you know i mean what 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 kind of better pathos as an actor uh, than you know a missing loved one who uh who could make it all better now right uh i mean certainly the the trials and tribulations of having survived this crash would be much easier with his wife next to him. And, uh, you know, he just, he plays it to perfection. I suppose no sense pontificating on it for much, much longer than the scene itself lasted. But just, you know, excellent job. That's part of the reason why he's a beloved character. It's because of this kind of honest, authentic uh, presentation that he gives. So anyhow, right after that scene... Uh, the show fades to black, and then it fades in again on the survivors asleep by the fire. I don't think that that was a commercial break. Uh, it certainly lacks the sort of dramatic tension that any hour-long show would insist upon so that we stick around for commercials. Uh, I, I think that it is just a fade-out, uh, fade fade-in to show the passage of time, particularly because of what is ahead. Watch the kids. Over here. It's all right. Good when and Anna Lucia, of course, follow the sounds of struggle. They find two dead people. Spoiler alert, they're others. Uh, the blood-covered echo holding the rock. There's a moment as the camera pans up on him uh, that what I'm assuming is spit falls from his mouth. Uh, it's a great acting touch, though, particularly since it reads in part as blood from his mouth. You know, did he bite this guy who we can assume is attacking him? And, of course, now they're dead. Then we go uh, properly to commercial. uh, And the real pizzazz of the episode is shown once we return. There's a strange backwards whoosh, and the screen reads day two. Uh, First-time viewers, of course, uh, can only feel amazed that, indeed, this episode will be completely different than all their previous episodes being told entirely in flashback we can now fully know and in proper chronology and as we'll learn it's going to cover everything that we've ever seen on lost you know i mean not not uh not literally so but you know certainly that all the all the story that has needed to been taught to have been told from uh in uh, all the first season and six episodes of the second season, we're going to cover all of that for the Tale Section people tonight. That's just, that's epic, baby, epic. Anyhow, with that, um, the speed of this episode, it's astonishing, um, breathtaking, even having seen it a number of times before. We're told at the 13-minute mark that Donald, who's the broken leg guy, he isn't doing well. By 13 minutes and 30 seconds, he's dead. 
and by 14 minutes he's buried and what we see of the funeral is over. It's just zipping along. Um, and as a side note, it's interesting to see Libby in clean clothes. Uh, it's the same outfit that she wears in the chronologically later episode when we first meet her. You know what I mean. Anyhow, uh, there are also these wonderful jump cuts, uh, as though each scene is a little vignette. When a day ends, be it from a 45-second scene or a few minutes or longer, it just cuts to black, and then the scene tells us uh, the name of the next day. Uh, <laughs> can you imagine what it would be like to tune into this episode and you've never seen an episode of Lost before? You finally give in to the, to the buzz, and you, you turn it on, and you hear, you know, that there's the guy from, doc, uh, from Party 5. He plays a doctor. And there's, you know, a pretty Canadian brunette woman. Uh, and there's that, you know, that bald-headed guy who you saw maybe uh, doing a guest run in Alias. Uh, maybe you remember him from The Rocketeer. Maybe you remember him from that, whatever that skating movie is with uh, Moira Kelly. You know, it's that familiar guy and uh, et cetera, et cetera. You hear there's this kind of southern southern guy who's handsome. And there's, you know, an Asian couple. And you've been forewarned, you know, that they... They speak Korean, so kind of, you know, be ready for subtitles sometimes. And, you know, there's the guy from Lord of the Rings. You say, all right, off you go. Here we go. I'll give the show a try. And none of that is there. I mean, some of those characters show up in, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of in uh, in montage style at the 40-minute mark. Um, or pardon me, that's 40 minutes with no commercial. So, pro- you know, and, and this is a, this when this was broadcast, it was longer than an hour. Um, so you tune in at eight o'clock and somewhere around eight fifty-eight or nine o'clock is when you're first starting to see some of these characters. It just must have been madness. I don't know. This is this is part of the reason too why, you know, in the neighborhood of seasons in the neighborhood of season three, there was gonna be they're starting to deal with an audience loss issue. Uh no pun intended. Now most of that audience, in fact, was not lost. It was that they were moving to watching it on DVR uh, or on the website or whatever. Um, lost essentially didn't lose any viewers from, oh, from maybe episode 16 of the first season to the finale or to, let's say, the episode before the finale. Uh, they basically didn't lose any viewers along the way, perhaps a teensy bit, but uh, you know, nothing, uh, nothing necessary. And not to pontificate on this further but you know it was in the life of the show when the ratings people the nielsen company started to count uh for ratings uh well what they call like uh i think it's like day plus seven or something like that so they would count everybody who watched the episode within seven days of its airing which would include the you know the 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 dvr numbers which uh on the one hand made the network relieved because that's where those missing five million viewers or so went uh on the flip side they don't count those people for like the billable ratings let's say when you present your show and say hey chevy you know buy an ad spot for this you don't say you know it's 18 million people with uh ratings plus seven you say you know it was uh it was 13 million people who watched it last night because you're not watching those ads the those people aren't going to pay for it, but anyhow, that's <laughs> that's often a tangent, indeed. And uh, back to this episode, um, there's excellent camera work 
when the others uh, take even more people on the seventh day. Uh, it, it's simple enough, I suppose. It's lots of kind of horror movie shots with someone being pulled off camera, leaving finger marks in the sand, shots of swooshing, running bodies. Um, still, though, it enhances that sense of the invisible, invincible other. Uh, and, of course, that scene ends with a terrifying revelation. It's a list. You know, it's funny, it's almost difficult at times to get back into the headspace of seeing uh, some of these episodes, particularly season two, uh, seeing these episodes for the first time. Because I hear Anna Lucia say, you know, it's a list, uh, it's the nine people who were taken. I immediately mentally jump to uh, ben at the beginning of season three, seeing the crash over uh, Othersville, and you know him saying, uh, uh, "Ethan, you go there. Good when you go there." I believe the line is, "You know, I want lists in twenty-four hours." Um, and I haven't seen that episode in quite some time, but it still sticks with me. So I kind of hear lists, and it's like, "Well, yeah, they do lists. They to weed out who they perceive to be good and bad and this sort of thing." Um, to put myself back in that mindset of seeing it for the first time. I mean, these are some of the episodes where you go to bed after watching the episode and there's this creepiness to it. You kind of, you know, make sure the closet door is shut and this sort of thing. Uh, especially so with the with the whispers. But um, it's, you know, I mean, to have kind of witnessed the, to have witnessed the others as mere mortals, uh, you know, merely quite strong and quite fast and you know perhaps just the the healthy result of good clean living i mean not counting the killing people and breaking nathan's neck as we're going to hear in a bit and all that but um just you know kind of the life that they live kind of a little bit communal living with nature this sort of thing you know that's that's it they're just not couch potatoes i suppose and and, and that's where you know plus there is kind of the, the natural healing quality to the island and all of that but you know this is at a time where you you know who are these kind of rabid savages you know supermen dragging people off it's just it's uh good stuff indeed good stuff indeed um anyhow so after that clip uh they go to commercial break because of course that's a nice tense moment to uh Make us sit through those Chevy ads. And after that, there's an interesting moment. Anna Lucia is starting to throw suspicion towards Nathan. And seeing that the survivors are starting to suspect each other, you'll notice that it is, in fact, Goodwin who tries to calm Anna Lucia down. It's Goodwin who tries to stop anyone from suspecting anyone so that no one has the time or the mindset to, I would argue, suspect him. Nonetheless, though, suspicion still does spread, and it spreads back to Nathan. What are you doing? You and I are going to have a little talk, Nathan. You? Let me out of here right now. You let me out. You let me out! He wasn't on the plane. What? We were in the air for two hours. I didn't see him once. Not once. It's a big plane, Anna, just because you didn't... No, I didn't see him either. Well, I'm pretty good with faces, you know, of the passengers, and I did not see him. Well, you're not all serious. He never talks about himself, Nathan. Every time I ask him anything, 
He just dodges. No, if he really were one of them, why would he still be here? I don't know, but I'm going to find out. It's just great to see kind of this, you know, decay spreading throughout their camp. Uh, I mean, granted, let's not forget, it is always in the shadow of having lost lots of people to the others, uh, to having been very clearly attacked. Uh, it, it certainly is not with the passivity of uh, of uh, Ethan, um, you know, who we kind of didn't know to suspect uh, for, for for much of the show. I mean, granted, the actor himself was not uh, not in many episodes. You know, he's only in the one episode before um, before the reveal of of him being a baddie. But uh, you know, nonetheless, we imagine that the character was you know was kind of snuck in uh, the day of the crash. Um, so, you know, the fact that, the fact that they are living under a threat, uh, certainly does explain Anna Lucia's, uh, reaction. Uh, and I mean, I would say too, I'm kind of seeing here kind of vague, uh, vague undertones of, uh, you know, post 9-11 mindset, which is something I, 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 the notion of which I like to return to for, uh, for the show, uh, which I think the show Certainly in its initial, I would say certainly the, the first two seasons, I think it, it's it's colored by, by 9-11. But here we have Anna Lucia, you know, clamping down on camp. And, and you know, and a bit later, she's, you know, pushing them. You have to keep moving, keep moving. Uh, they end up finding the arrow hatch, as we'll discuss in a bit. You know, then that's, you know, she's the one to determine that it's safe because the door can, can close and lock and, you know, this sort of thing. Or can it lock? I don't know. I think it's implied when they first show up with Sawyer and Jin and Michael, but um, anyhow, certainly you can you can understand where she's coming from, and I think there's I think there's perhaps uh, strains of you know they're living under Anna Lucia's kind of imposed Patriot Act, you know that they must circle the wagons, they must do certain, you know, they must give up certain liberties in order to be free, and 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 this sort of thing. Um, and we see it there with Nathan, who, of course, will go down in lost history as not the other, which uh, which certainly loyal viewers knew from the start. Or, I mean, could you know for sure? Okay, maybe not. Maybe they planted two two guys there, but certainly you should know, you know, based on previous episodes, that Goodwin is is the plant for first time viewers that are you know, wearing their thinking caps. If for some reason you don't. Uh, know for sure then you know nonetheless the point when goodwin breaks his neck <laughs> that's a darn good clue that he's not the the not the the, the ringer and uh that'll be supported obviously by by uh that season three opener where he's clearly not another so um anyhow I feel like i'm pontificating a bit in this episode we're only halfway through and we're coming up to 35 minutes so could be a long one guys anyhow um and indeed here we are halfway through the episode uh, I started to wonder how they filmed the episode, particularly with regards to gentlemen's beard length. Uh, do you take Bernard and Echo, who have full beards from last week's episode, and you slowly trim that back uh, in reverse chron- uh, chronological order for filming? Um, do you stick fake beards on them? You know, there's a point towards the end of the episode when we get kind of new gin footage, when it's gin tied to the tree or tied to the bamboo. And Echo talks to him. Echo now is developing those kind of twin little, little you know, goatee tail things. His beard's starting to come in in a rather uneven way, kind of wispy way. Um, 
you know, do they shave him like that? Did they, you know, how do they do it? Certainly when the plane crashes, it's this, uh, you know, it's that kind of standard shocking moment when you when you see the clean-shaven people. It's Echo in a suit, uh, you know, kind of a rather rather square face when he's clean-shaven and his hair has been, you know, the hair in his head has been cut properly. But just a, just a little production thought there. At any rate, there's uh, the mild reveal, uh, of course. <laughs> mild for many of us, but not mild for Nathan. The mild reveal when uh, Goodman releases Nathan and kills him. Uh, but at least Goodwin isn't a savage, as he said earlier in the episode, right? Irony, irony. Um, there's a wonderful moment uh, when they first discover the arrow hatch. Uh, Anna Lucy identifies it as a bunker, and there's a really quick reaction shot to Goodwin, who now there's no question we know has been on the island before everybody else. So Anna Lucy, has, Anna Lucy says, oh, it's a bunker of some sort. And there's a quick reaction shot to Goodwin, and he just, the actor just does a great job of communicating. He didn't really know about it either. He didn't know about it. And I think that's going to be supported by the items that we find in there, which we'll discuss in a bit. But, uh, no, pardon me, which we'll discuss right now. Maybe I should look ahead on my notes. How do I know or how can I cleanly suspect that the others did not uh, know about the arrow hatch? Well, it's because of the great prop game that, that then gets played in there. They find a glass eye, a Bible, which of course is later to be revealed that has a uh, that has a missing clip from the Swan Hatch film, and a radio, and it's the radio as we're going to find out soon. So, um, now I must admit I'm a bit fuzzy on my memory. Was it was it Radzinski who cut out the uh, the extra bit out of the Swan Hatch film? Uh, I apologize for not knowing off the top of my head, but certainly. There's stuff in this hat. I mean, same thing with the glass eye. I, although I don't think it is ever clearly linked, I think that you know certainly we all assume that it's uh, it's um, the glass eye belongs to Mikhail, aka Patchy, the eye patch guy. Um, and indeed, that moment in season three where uh, where we see a guy in an eye patch uh, on the uh, the Pearl TV uh, TV TV sets. Uh, I think that that, you know, we're meant to say, hey, you know, glass eye, guy with an eye patch, you know, da, da, da. But um, certainly just the fact that there's, maybe the glass eye a little bit less so, but the fact that there's stuff in there that's just um, particularly of that sort, you know, Swan Hatch film being being chief among them. To me, that's kind of a clue that the others didn't know about it, didn't know to kind of ransack it and kind of, you know, whatever. So anyhow. Uh, before, before other discussions and before uh, more discussion about the radio, we get some vague othersy wisdom. Why do you think they're doing this? Why do I think who's doing what? Them. Don't you ever wonder why they attack us? Maybe they're not attacking us. Yeah, they just drag us into the jungle every now and then. No real harm done. Good point. Why do you think they take some of us and not the others? You know, that first night they took the strongest of us. Our quiet friend, three other guys. They're all athletic, tough, threats. They didn't take you. 
guess they changed their plan after two of them got killed. What I love about that clip is, particularly in light of the fact that we know uh, unquestionably at this at this point that uh, Goodwin is a baddie, uh, ironic name there, of course, but you can see how quickly he's thinking on his feet. Uh, you know, let's take that business where she says, um, why did they take who they take in the, in the beginning? And he kind of, you know, he gives what we, the audience, understand is the answer. They're, they're eliminating the strongest uh, or perhaps bringing the strongest over, but at, at the very least splitting up the group based on who the strongest, most athletic are. And she says, well, why not you? Boom. He then, he doesn't have an answer for that because the answer is they weren't coming for him because he was one of them. But uh, he shifts the conversation and says, well, clearly plans changed once, uh, you know, once two of them got killed. And uh, he's just, He's just so wonderful at taking what's thrown his way and being able to to use it and manipulate it and think quickly and just mix it all together. And it's just it's absolutely fantastic. Um, and indeed, shortly after that clip, uh, Anna and Goodwin, they stop for a break. And the director wisely makes that whole scene about the knife, focusing on what Goodwin may do with it. He asks for the knife. There's shots of just the knife uh, in his hand. Um, and then, of course, there's also a little Easter egg uh, in the guise of Anna getting the knife back. Or rather, she really wants that knife back. Uh, but what she does in order to get it back ends up being an Easter egg for us. How'd they get an army knife? Sorry? A knife. It's U.S. military. I'll show you. You see the Tang stamp? This knife's probably 20 years old. You don't see these anymore. Yet here it is. On this island. Weird, huh? So with that, they're establishing the age of the knife, or at least that it's... You know, at least 20 years old. They established that the U.S. Army was on the island at some point. It's just absolutely wonderful. One of these threads that you wondered at the time, you know, is this the show just jerking you around? You look back now, and uh, there's visions of the island uh, being, uh, well, or the Army being on the island in the 1950s. There's Jughead, there's Young Widmore. There's just, none of it is a question anymore. Uh, more proof that some of these details, they... They threw out there, then snatched them back for later. So, um, anyhow, the the great camera work in that scene it continues uh, when Anna finally outright accuses Goodwin of being an other. There's no Jacino during the dialogue. It's just silence, and the camera slowly zooming in, mimicking that feeling that you get when something shocking has just happened. You ran out of the jungle the day of the crash. How did you, how did you find Bernard up in the tree? I heard him shouting from the beach. From the beach. Why are you asking me about that, Anna? Did he see you out there? Is that why you pretended to be one of us? You ran out of the jungle 
10 minutes after the crash. You weren't wet. You were never even in the ocean. Where are they? Your friends. Nathan. What did you... If you had cut off his finger and he still told you he was on the plane, I think maybe you would have started to believe you had the wrong guy. Did you kill him? Nathan was not a good person. That's why he wasn't on the list. What about the kids? Did you kill them too? Children are fine. They're better off now. And of course, we get the ensuing fight scene in which uh, Goodwin ends up on the long end of the uh, shish kebab stick. Um, what I love too about that scene, it's just so chock filled with dialogue. Uh, it's telling us so much about the others and how they see things in terms of people, uh, good people rather, and some sort of uh, supposedly objective right and wrong. Then we get uh, the first proper crisscross moment. Uh, and, and an example of uh, the show really, truly having some sort of plan. Why are you wasting your time with that thing? There's no signal. I only turn it on a couple minutes a day. It really doesn't. Hello? Hello? Anybody out there? Mayday, mayday! Is there someone there? Hello? Hello? Who is that? Can you hear me? Oh. Repeat your transmission, please. Hello? We're survivors of the crash of Oceanic Flight 815. Please copy. We're the survivors of Flight 815. No, wait a minute. What are you doing? It's them. It's them. They're trying to draw us out. They're trying to find us. No, he said 815. He said Flight 815. I know our flight number because Goodwin knew our flight number. But what if there really are survivors out there? There are no survivors. This is our life now. Get used to it. Isn't it such a pity that Anna's pessimism ends up overwhelming Bernard's sweet optimism? Uh, you almost wonder what the show would have been uh, had had that radio contact continued. But alas, not, not meant to be. Uh, also, a short observation. Michelle Rodriguez looks odd. Uh, when she cries. It's not a particularly enjoyable thing to look at. Not that seeing anyone cry on screen or otherwise is enjoyable, but it's just kind of an odd look. You know, she, she kind of finally cries after 40 days uh, of all this hardship, and I don't know, anyhow. Changing subjects. I love that when Jin shows up, uh, they go all out to integrate this episode with uh, the episode Adrift, down to using the exact same music a broken handcuff on his wrist. I'm not sure that is a threat. He's running! Then the pace uh, starts to truly pick up as we move faster and faster. 
Uh, the stories are merging more and more. Uh, perhaps it's at that point where we're supposed to remember instinctively where this episode is supposed to end uh, with the heartbreaking death of a character who we only recently started to get to know. Uh, and it's just this wonderful device as you're hearing now as we really start to speed through things and you kind of get this shiver saying, you know, oh my goodness, they're, they're, they're serious about, uh, I don't know, about committing to these multiple layers. Um, and indeed, it's at that point, too, that with confidence, the episode's recap of sorts uh, starts to end with the title card declaring Day 48 today. There's a moment of silence, then... course we see that Shannon is dead, we see that the two sections of story are now merged, and we have the end with Saeed looking vengeful, and Lucille looking stony, and just this realization that the show has now uh, monumentally changed. Of course we can't wait to tune in for next week, and with that the episode comes to an end. One great, great, fantastic episode, one of the, one of the greats up there on the list. And that's how it ends. Irony of ironies, it's the second time, the second season, that we've ended a second episode in a story of sorts at the same point. You know, we had uh, the first two episodes of, uh, of the season end essentially at the same point uh, in terms of chronology. And here they've done it again. Absolutely wonderful. That, of course, ends the episode, but not the podcast. Let's now take a look at Lostpedia to see what little bits and pieces I've missed along the way. Uh, Lostpedia says this, right after the plane's tail crashes in the water, one of the monster's sounds can be heard. Uh, I don't quite know what to make of that other than perhaps just the monster, uh, you know, noting that there's more, more pieces for that, uh, that 2000 year old, uh, chess game now, now made available. Uh, Lostpedia also says in Jughead, it is revealed that the U S army visited the island in the 1950s. This is likely the origin of the pocket knife and Lucy and Goodwin fight over in this episode. Uh, Lostpedia also says this is the first of three episodes to have flashes related to Libby in it, but not centered around her. The others are Dave and Live Together, Die Alone, Part 1. Uh, also, this is the last episode to feature the arrow, Brown. Uh, this was Maggie Grace's last main cast credit as Shannon until the final episode, The End. She was credited as a special guest star in the next episode. That's kind of strange. I don't know what the deal is with that. Uh, certainly she shows up in this episode just long enough to be running through the jungle. Um, don't know. Don't know. Maybe that was just the show's way of communicating. Yes, she really is. You know, this is the last time you see her alive uh, running towards Anna Lucia. Uh, and then her being a special guest star in the next episode, perhaps just that's just the show's way of... Um, of uh, communicating that she is truly dead. I don't know. Anyhow, Lostpedia also says this is the first episode to take place entirely on the island. It's also one of only two episodes in the series in which all events are depicted in chronological order uh, along with Across the Sea. 
They also say that this is the first extended episode of Lost, running five minutes longer than the standard one-hour episodes. Other episodes that were extended were What Kate Did, The Long Con, Maternity Leave, Dave, Question Mark, 316, The Life and Death of Jeremy Bentham, and Abby Turno. And then the last bit from Lostpedia is this. Anna Lucia says that Goodwin came to the crash site 10 minutes after they crashed. However, in A Tale of Two Cities, Ben says it'll take him an hour to get to the shore. So, I don't know. Just because Anna Lucia says it took 10 minutes, did it feel like 10 minutes, but it was more? Did Goodwin, was Ben's estimate wrong? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's one of those things you don't really, what can you, what can you say? You know, it, it's probably difficult to resolve the distance that um, the producers safely would put Othersville from the two crash sites. Uh, it's difficult to resolve that distance along with how quickly it would need to be covered for Goodwin to show up. I don't know. It's TV. It's TV. With that, let's start to look ahead to next week's episode. That'll be episode 208, entitled Collision, which is an Anna Lucia episode. Uh, so... Certainly uh, lots of fireworks to start out that episode, the, the death of Shannon. Uh, so, looking forward to that. The requisite reminder, of course, that new episodes launch to the website, iTunes, and the Lost Podcasting Network first thing on Monday morning. Uh, it's definitely become kind of Sunday evening at this point, at least Sunday evening Eastern Standard Time here in the United States. So, uh, certainly, wherever you are in the world, you can hop out of bed Monday morning and get your episode. Uh, if you like to share feedback... Well, it's always welcome. You can leave a message on the voice message line at 732-707-1815. You can say hello on Twitter, where I'm Looking Back Lost. You can send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. And, of course, you can visit the website, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And, of course, you can find the show on iTunes, where reviews are always very much appreciated. So thank you very, very much for listening. I look forward to joining you all again next week for episode 208, Collision. Thank you very much for getting lost with me. Bye-bye. U.S. military.